LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here all by myself, as a host anyway. And then I have someone who is guest co-hosted, but now is not guest co-hosting. Uh, it, you're here as a guest. You ran out of qualified candidates. I did. You had to fill the slot. I had to fill the slot. Well, it's a it's a bye week here. Okay. I mean, you know, it's uh it's it's Thanksgiving week. Yep. And so it's it's, it's hard. this is the Sunday when pastors are gone and they just have the youth <laughs> pastor talk. So I'm I'm the fill in youth guy. <laughs> Um, we were talking about on Ministry Grid um, making, uh, like, just setting avatars for people because people have a hard time uploading a photo for some strange reason. And there are literally thousands upon thousands of people on there now. But it's different when you actually, like, see pictures of people. So then we decided we were just going to put Star Wars characters and just randomly, based on your role. And so we did decide that if you were a student pastor, we would just make you George R. Binks. There you go. <laughs> I'll let you interpret that. <laughs> All right. Um, you haven't told them who I am. I'm, I'm about to. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to forget that. And then they no. would be like, who is this guy? No, the voice that you're hearing is Ben Mandrell. He's my, my. Uh, well, you're not my new boss anymore. You've been my boss for a while. That's right. How's that going? It's been a long four months with you. I know. <laughs> a really long four months. Um so we haven't gotten into your story much on here yet because last time you were uh, guest co-hosting. And so I, I did want to bring that out a little bit. So obviously, new CEO of Lifeway, you have um, – what, what impressed me most when I met you was I knew that you were both a pastor in a established church um, and helped turn that around. So you came into that kind of scenario. And then – you also planted a church. So those are both things that are notoriously difficult, and both sides of those, you know, kind of play against each other. So church planters will be like, well, this is really hard. You can go into an established church and, you know, X, Y, Z, and then the X, Y, Z guys will go, it's, well, it's a lot easier when you're starting from scratch. Right. Um, so talk about how uh, both of those have kind of shaped you as a leader. Well, all ministry is hard, no matter where you serve. Um, established church has lots of benefits and lots of challenges associated with that. Changing an established church is really hard. And then starting a church from scratch, which our family did in 2014, is really hard because you're starting with nothing and you've got very few tools and resources. But right. there's some advantages to that, too. Uh, so, yeah, I get to I get to have a little bit of street cred with guys on both sides of that in yeah. ministry. And so I, I'm I'm really proud of that, actually. I love being able to talk about both of, of those sets of problems and challenges. What do you think are um, some of the, well, when, you know, you have these, uh, it's almost two sides. It's not really, but, you know, it sometimes can feel like that. Um, what do you think that church planters maybe don't understand about the established church? And what do does the established church not maybe quite get about church planting? Well, pastoring the established church requires a lot more patience. I mean, when you're a planter, you're driving a speedboat. That thing right. turns on a dime. Nobody's telling you, you can't do this, you can't do There's no right. historical precedent. <laughs> and that's so freeing for guys who are planting because they get to it make dangerous. it up as they go. But yeah. Um, so I think 
there's not a lot of empathy from planters toward, they think established pastors kind of have it made because they right. have a budget and resources and a staff. But those challenges of trying to change a culture that the cement has already thickened right. uh, are, are real. Now, as an established pastor, I've said this a hundred times, if I could go back and be an established pastor again, I would be a church planting pastor. I would... I would have helped a lot more planters because I didn't know until I was one how much help they need with encouragement, prayer, resources, um, just systems and and things like that. So I, if I could go back, I'd be a lot more empathetic and helpful. So okay, let's let's talk about this and really quickly. What? <laughs> I just spilled stuff all over me in case you all didn't hear that. I was not going to say anything. You didn't need to. Nobody was, needed to know. It was your your sons are in the back of the room here. I do have my boys here today. And that is great. Uh, and they got to witness that, which was also absolutely amazing. They're also witnessing you drink a monster drink? Well, our listeners know that that happens. Okay. I usually drink it to get, you know, really caffeinated and energetic. This is what I sound like, caffeinated and okay. really energetic. Um, it's, it's, yeah. So going back to that though, if, if I'm thinking about, um, what you learned when you were working in the church, now you've transitioned to an even crazier role an even more difficult role. So congratulations, yeah, in my you. opinion, more difficult. And that is now you're working on the church and you're working on the church through all of the ministries that, you know, and, and I would consider them ministries personally, that um, Lifeway Christian Resources Stewards. And that's, you know, both here and uh, the offices in China, India, Mexico City. And those are like really established offices. And then there's tons more offices around the globe. But um, those are the big ones. So how, like, what have you been able to learn so far coming into this new day and this this massive shift from working in the church to working on the church. Well, let me go back first. I would challenge your statement that this is harder. Um, I would think I would say that planting a church in the West from scratch was the hardest thing I've ever done. Right, um, but very rewarding. Uh, leading Lifeway is a challenge because it's so humongous. People, right. very few people, myself included, don't realize until I got here how wide the ministry is, how many different teams there are that function. So it's taken me four months just to get an education on what we do here. I right. mean, it's a massive operation, but it's also an op that's a pretty amazing opportunity because we have a lot of tentacles and we, have, we get to touch a lot of different parts of the local church. So transitioning into Lifeway has been a lot of fun because it's been a, I'm a learner and I love learning what we're doing. And I think Lifeway is now positioned to make a massive impact in the local church. And so I'm excited about the new day, the new season, new direction. So usually the first question I ask is, who are you learning from? And yep. I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you kind of answer that. But in addition, I would like to know um, how you're learning, like what methodology, you know, how you're learning as well. Yeah. So there's several, I mean, normally my standard response to that is going to be to tell you what book I'm reading because right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge reader. But for the last four months, I've done the least amount of reading that I've ever done in my life because I've been reading people. 
I mean, I've just been having conversation after conversation right. with with the team here on the ground. And so it hasn't felt like the best use of my time to pull off into a side room and read when I have a lot of people I need to get to know and connect with. So I think a lot of learning happens through a good conversation, good right. question asking. been doing that. But since I do have my two sons in the corner over here, my wife and I have been reading an old Paul Tripp book called The Age of Opportunity, Yeah, uh, which has been really good for us to go back and kind of remember how important the teenage years are and... You know, I've only got four or five years left with these guys, and, and then they're going to be off to college. So we're trying to maximize this season that we have now with our kids. We have four kids, by the way, for those of you who are listening, one in high school, three in middle school. So these are very important years before we release them into the world. Release so, them on the world. Paul Tripp is teaching <laughs> me a lot about that right now. Very good. Okay, so, you know, you talked about um, – reading books versus reading people. So you um, internally here at Lifeway, you have done, I want to say like 37 listening sessions or mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. Is that true? There's 31. 31. Okay. I, I was being pastoral with my numbers. Sorry. Yeah, you're um, <laughs> padding your stats, padding my stats. <laughs> I was padding your stats for you. Um, so, I mean, you know, how do you, how do you parse out, you're coming into a new role, obviously, just like a pastor coming into a staff role or for those listeners who are leading in the church, I mean, you know, whatever uh, area that you're leading and whether it's a, a ministry or a whole church or part of your business, how do you come into a new position and be a good listener and know how to parse that and exegete that? Because there's plenty of people that want your ear, right. there's plenty of people that want to make a great impression. Um, how, how do you... Right. So it's just like becoming a pastor of a new church. I mean, you don't want to listen to the loudest people only. You want to make right. sure you're listening to all the people. So one of the things I did early on was I asked everyone in the, in the company to nominate someone who they thought was humble. Right. And then I tabulated all those results and found out who the top 100 most humble leaders wow. are and began to quietly approach those people and ask them their opinions because... Your humble people aren't going to be the first to offer their opinions. So along with our listening sessions, we did 31 small group gatherings with every kind of ministry within Lifeway. And then that data began to kind of hear themes of here's something that's a pain point for us. We really need to fix this. And then after writing those things down, it becomes pretty clear what the challenges are. Very cool. So uh, I will move on to question two then because I think that's a great segue. What, What is the main point of emphasis for you and your leadership right now? I think unifying the, the team. I think the challenges here are similar to the local church in that sometimes in the local church, you have this kind of siloed territorialism that takes place where let's just say the worship team is doing great and music is right. going awesome, but they're not really loving on encouraging the student ministry. Right. But everybody knows you got to have a good student ministry to grow a church. And so you have to get all the players of the team working together and sharing and encouraging and sacrificing for one another. And I think we have a lot of work to do here at Lifeway and getting everybody rowing in the same way on the boat. Hmm. Makes sense? It does make sense. So, uh, I mean, have you have you had this happen? Well, Okay, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question uh, from personal experience. So in my experience in working at churches of different size and through different seasons, um, when you were just talking, it reminded me a little bit of uh, a church I worked at who went through rapid, a rapid, 
rapid season of growth, um, adding campuses, you know, tons of campuses in a short period of time. And, the, of course, the central services component became larger and larger. And we said, oh, we want to scale. So then, um, then that component begins to be the, I don't know, almost um, the, it is seen by the ministry staff maybe that this is someone who is impeding me. And then the core services people are like, well, if these people would just pay attention, we could, you know, go further faster or whatever. Um, and just being from, you know, uh, we can cut this part out if you want to, but uh, I would just, this is an honest conversation. So it's what people are here for. Um, how have you found that at Lifeway? Because I could feel that uh, tension, especially in the interim season. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that what you're kind of referring to, making sure we're all rowing in the same direction, or is it something else? Yeah, I think if you're not constantly articulating the overall mission, right. then all of the subgroups begin to take on their own focus right. and lose sight of the big picture. So we have to constantly come together and remind ourselves of how the whole body works together, as Paul says. It's not that much different than the local church in terms of yeah. the eye and the ear, the hand and the foot, all appreciating with what one another contributes to the overall. But when there is no clear vision being articulated, people are self-preservationists yep. and they start working on their own area and they don't think about how is this contributing to the whole. Because the scorecard at the end of the day is, is my area growing? Right. And so I think one of my roles as a leader is just to call attention to how we're all working together on right. the same project and helping people to spend more time together. So in your in your experience, in your personal background, have you seen breaking down those silos as like the key to growth in a church? Yeah, forcing people to spend time with those outside their swim lanes, uh, diversifying the groups that make decisions not just always relying on the same people to pull information and wisdom. I think the leader's job is to keep shuffling that deck and make sure that different people have an opportunity to exert influence. Interesting. Okay. So, um, you know, for those listening, one of the questions I think that has to arise in your mind, if it doesn't, I'm going to make it rise in your mind. So when's the last time you shuffled the deck? Um, when is the last time that you have maybe not just asked your executive team or the guy that you have the most uh, connection with from a personality perspective, when's the last time you asked somebody like that that was outside that group? Um, yeah, I would question. say this uh, as a pastor, you know, similar to what I've just done a Lifeway, you know, form four or five listening groups that have a diverse representation from your flock and ask some big picture questions and, and see what kind of information comes out of that because that, that'll be some of the best data you can have to work on. Sometimes we surround ourselves with the same advisors that we don't get the full picture of what's going on in the church. Do you, um, do you have any standard questions or, I mean, you are a great question asker. Uh, in the time that I've been around you, I haven't seen you have like a set framework or anything. Uh, you just kind of will ask one or two questions to kind of read uh, where you're going and then really start to dig into something. So is there a framework you would say? I don't use a framework. I just try to draw people out. So like in that setting, I would just I would get a group of diverse thinkers in a room and I would have a whiteboard and say, what do you guys think we need to fix? Right. That'll take off. How do you promote honest conversation in that? 
Um, well, sometimes people are a little bit gun shy to right. be totally honest. And so I just try to frame it up by saying, Hey, this is totally safe space. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm, right. I just want the best for the overall mission. But what, what are the things you think I need to hear? And then people will normally tell you, unless you go and use that information against them, I think they'll take that risk. That's good. Okay. Um, other than spiritual disciplines, let's move to, to question three. Other than spiritual disciplines, what are a couple of things that you have to do daily or almost daily in order to stay sharp as a leader? Things I have to do daily. Um, I really mean this answer. I have to talk to my wife daily. I mean, download. If she and I aren't regularly communicating and staying in close touch, our marriage just becomes dry. And so, especially now that I'm at Lifeway and we're not planning a church together, com continually sharing one another's world and information right. keeps us, I mean, that you know, that relationship is so foundational. If your marriage is wrong, everything's wrong. Right. So we try to keep a really close eye on our communication at home. So that's important. I am a stickler on emptying my inbox, email. I don't let email pile up more than a screenshot if I can help it. So every day I try to get that thing to zero just so I can stay clear. I'm pretty big on David Allen's getting things done methodology right. in terms of staying short and clear on, on everything so you can be creative with your other time. Uh, and then the other thing is just, I have to have quiet time. So for me, that means I got to get up super early because it's not going to happen once people are awake. <laughs> This is fascinating. Okay. Because <laughs> everybody knows I'm a profiler. And so you okay. don't sound like a seven. Okay. You're, you're on the Enneagram? I'm on the Enneagram right now. I And everybody that listens knows I really don't like the Enneagram. Well, obviously, because you must like it because you just brought it in. Uh, I'm a Myers-Briggs guy myself. Okay. But um, I, from what I would typically think, a... Inbox, you do not seem like an inbox to zero guy. I'm an inbox to zero guy. Is now, that the no, result of some uh, traumatic, <laughs> traumatic, traumatic life experience? No, I'm that? I'm scatterbrained. I'm a I'm always brainstorming, whiteboarding, and I'll come right. up with more ideas than I can do anything with. And so I've just right. learned over time that my personality requires daily cleanup, or it gets messy. So with email, it just makes my soul feel at peace if I've responded to everyone and right. nothing is bottlenecking with me. And so that that really happened when I became a church planner and went from becoming a specialist as a mega church pastor to a generalist as a church planter. And I, I went out and I bought David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, which is all about keeping everything clean in your life, including your inbox. And it changed everything for me. Okay, talk about that more. What were, uh, what were a couple other key takeaways? Because some people are in that kind of transition now. Yeah. Because a lot of times as you move um, within an organization, it's almost the higher you go, it seems, it doesn't seem like this, but the higher you go, actually the more um, core competency core competencies in leadership matters. Yeah. So stuff like that matters even more the higher you go. So talk about that a little bit. Well, the, the thing that I took away from that book is the head is for having ideas, not for holding them. And for many years, I would try to hold ideas in my head and I would lose them all the time. And so I'd have all these ideas, but then they never got externalized. I never had any kind of external brain. So I never wrote things down. So just having lists that I'm continually reviewing 
scheduling a weekly review with myself to look over those lists and making sure that everybody who's relying on me is getting information from me quickly. You do those things well, you're leading pretty well. Yeah. And vision starts to form out of the out of the runway rather than out of the 50,000 foot range. You know, for so many years, it was this deal where you go away for a retreat, you come up with some huge ideas right. and you come back and you figure out how to operationalize them. You have your and then five year plan. We've all been on a staff oh. before where you've done, you have these binders like on the wall and yes. you reason. I have found that so much vision pours out of just doing every day well and making sure that the projects that are hot on your plate are getting done and making progress. And so I was thinking about uh, this passage of scripture in second Timothy, um, I actually wrote this down because I wanted to share it today because it's so good. Where where Tim where Paul says this to Timothy, he says in um, in First Timothy four fifteen, he says, "Practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all." So one of the pet peeves I found around this building mm-hmm. is discussion around strategy, but no execution. Many people told me that that's a frustration for them. Just historically, that's not a slam on Lifeway, just historically. Yeah. And so I, I want to try to be a leader where we're actually making progress on projects. We're not just talking about the way we want it to be. So read the, read that verse of scripture again, because this is really good. Yeah. I first, haven't heard that one before. First Timothy 4.15. I mean, I'm sure I've heard it before. You should read the New Testament, it. Todd. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good part. <laughs> uh, so I just stop at 2 Timothy 2.2. Practice, practice these things, be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. So, so Paul amplifies progress over perfection. Yeah. But progress may be evident to all is, is, it's not just that you are a good leader. It's that you're a growing leader. You're personally growing, but also things are getting better around here. Yes. We're fixing stuff. It doesn't have to all get fixed right away, but we're fixing some stuff right away. You know, often um, one of the one of the things that eventually you know comes out. I don't know, probably once every couple of months on here is just the importance of as a leader learning in front of people. Like part of your biggest job is to learn in front of people. But I love the idea of progressing in front of people because in that manner, I'm then modeling what I expect. And, um, man, I think that's really, really good. Thank you. I'm going to steal it. Cheers. All right. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about what leadership in your home looks like. Oh man. And your boys are sitting in the room. Yeah. I have two sons in the room. So great accountability. He's asking me about how I lead at home. I have never, um, asked this in, in front of, I've asked it husband and wife once or twice but never with children. I'm really glad I brought them because they're off of school. And now this makes me answer this very honestly. Yeah. Okay. So what do you want me to say? What's my leadership at home look like? <laughs> yes. That's a big question. Okay. Like? Uh, things I try to do as a dad regularly. Now they don't love this, but whenever we have conflict, I try to make sure we talk it out. And that's all the time. Like they probably get a little worn out on this because I just think it's really important <laughs> to sit down and hash some stuff out. If you're not learning that at home, right. when, when are you going to figure out how to make up with people, how to resolve conflict? Right. I mean, are you not constantly, even in ministry, 
getting sideways with people? Yeah, uh, I would say unless you have conflict, you're pro- and it's healthy conflict. But unless you have some conflict, you're not leading much. You're so not we moving forward. So we have a list of family values. One of those is healthy confrontation. And we just made a decision as a family to rewrite our family values because they're about four or five years old. Oh. And the kids added some new ones that I thought were really cool. And so we, I just drafted it this morning, actually. Do tell. Well, I, I have a list of some of the things that we're, <laughs> we're now going to try to focus on as a family. Like one of our values, I was so proud the kids put this on there. One of our values now is adaptability. That's and good. what what they mean by that? Here's here's how this we moving from Denver to Nashville. <laughs> man, our family, <laughs> we have been forced to adapt to, sure. to a lot of different environments. So I just love that they said, "Hey, let's celebrate that as a family. Let's just let's just pretend that life's going to continue to force us to adapt." And so the way we described that was the story of our lives involves many chapters with unexpected twists and turns. So let's let's normalize that because as they get older, they're going to have to continually adapt to different experiences. So let's let's think about how to make that normal. Um, sincerity, service, courage, healthy confrontation. Those are just some of the values that we've written down, and then we're putting words behind it to explain why. This is something we've done for years. It helps. Okay, so um, talk about what it looks like uh, between. You and your you and your wife, because I've met your wife. Yep. Uh, and listeners know my wife somewhat fairly well, because um, I'm I'm also an ideator, strategic maximizer, ideator, activator, command are mm-hmm. my top five. Um, and so uh, the Lord paired me with someone who would keep me anchored. Um, ha- like is that a similar thing that has happened? Uh, in your life? Our compatibility is explosive because <laughs> <laughs> we are a great team. Our, my boys will tell you this. My, Lindley is so incredible at schedule, details, lists. Right. Her, her strength themes in the Strength Finder are discipline and responsibility. Oh. Which she says she got the boring ones. No. But I think that's really where the action is. Yes, it is. Mine are more in the vision category, you know, painting pictures. (laughs) (laughs) And so nothing ever gets done with me unless I have someone like her saying, let's turn that into an implementation plan. So we, we have, we both have strong personalities and we have conflict often and we come back and explain to the kids and try to work it out. Very cool. Very cool. I love seeing how that works out. Um, And you know, we haven't spent a ton of time uh, with you guys yet, but it's just fun to fun to watch. Here's a couple of games we're playing at home right now because my sons are here. They can attest. So one of the things I'm asking the kids to do is to regularly write a hypothetical situation that involves wisdom. This is a case study. I love it. Yeah. So they write case studies <laughs> and, and we read them out loud at the table and they get to read theirs and say, so right. what would you do? And so we're walking through decision-making wisdom as a family, and they get to write their own story. It's working. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, right now, my kids are obsessed with would with a uh, much more sophomoric uh, version of that, which is, would you rather? <laughs> would you rather? We do that, too. <laughs> we do a lot of questions at the dinner table. Oh. My, the dad jokes are getting worse, I think. I'm, run, I'm running out of material. 
I'm getting I'm getting head nods over here. <laughs> All right. Um, so, what would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead? My 20 year old self. So, um, so and I'm going to ask college. you a new question. I've never asked anybody yeah. uh, after this because it just dawned on me. So, uh, go go for it. My 20 year old self, I would say, life's not going to go as you have planned. I mean. When I was 20, I kind of had a, a, a plan for my life, which involved going to medical school at that point and constant interruptions to my plan. Every time I think I've kind of settled in, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life or this is what the next five years is going to look like, it never happens that way. So I think comfort is an illusion. I think it's something that you think is right over the hill. It's like that mirage you see out in the distance, but when you get closer, it's not really there. So I would tell my 20-year-old self to just be ready for lots of detours. Okay. And I don't even know if this makes sense, but it, but I'm going to ask anyway. What what do you think your 20-year-old self would tell your 43-year-old self right now? <laughs> um, lighten up a little. Now, I try to be pretty lighthearted, but the gravity of leadership, I feel it so heavy some days that I, I can forget to have fun. And linger with people. Right. Just hang out. Enjoy life. I'm always on to the next thing, which isn't good. You know, I don't know who said it. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Mm. It's really true. That's true. That's very true. Um, Okay. So uh, what's really interesting to me is, so when it was announced that you were coming to Lifeway, um, everybody's like, uh, do, do you know that, you know, I got a couple of text messages. Hey, do you know this guy? Right. I'm like, I think he was at a pipeline in Denver. Yeah. Yeah. I went to one of your events before you knew I'd be your boss. Uh, no. <laughs> you did good. Good. You really did. Um, I was, uh, so the, the interesting thing is uh, that I told people about you. I said, well, I don't know him personally, but 80% of churches that, uh, that come as a team, 80% of those probably at a pipeline show up without their senior pastor. 80%. So senior pastors, if you're listening and you hear the stuff that we do about pipeline and that sounds great, please show up. That that was the most impressive thing for me. It was the fact that you came to <laughs> I, a pipeline. I didn't, I didn't want to come. Okay, I did not want to come. I was, I was, I had a sermon to write. I had, I'm sure, you important did. stuff. I'm sure you had. And of the staff stuff. like begged me to come to this leadership pipeline thing, hosted by Todd Atkins and Lifeway, and I didn't want to come. My wife, who loves development, right. made me come. And I told you this. Like I came in with a chip on my shoulder. I left a believer. It's really hard to visualize how to put layers into your own organization. It's almost something that pastors don't want to think about because it seems so it's complicated. Hard. But the way you laid it out, and I'm not just blowing smoke, it really felt doable to start building a pipeline within our church of how people could kind of graduate to these higher levels of responsibility. It was really, really inspiring. Well, um, I'm, I mentioned that because that spoke to me a lot about who you— who you were as a, a, a leader even before you came. So I really appreciate that. And I wanted to bring that out um, on the podcast, n- not just because, I, hey, I, it's an opportunity to plug Pipeline. I really want 
people to come to Pipeline, is to say senior pastors, um, what you say yes and no to really does matter. And, you know, it, it is there. there is that tyranny of the urgent. Um, there is, there are those things that you have to decide, you know, what is important, what's not important. Um, what am I going to do? But what you lead your people through, there's no way to implement pipeline without the senior pastor. It's just not going to This happen. is such a good conversation because this is something I've really messed up over the years. Okay. Confession booth. Confession booth, go for it. it. It took me at least 15 years in ministry to realize how important it was to spend time with my key staff. I thought delivering polished sermons would make them so proud of me that it would feed their ministries and there'd be synergy in the church. I was taking care of my area and just hanging out with main staff members over the years, it took me a while to realize how powerful that is when we're truly rubbing shoulders often. Maybe other guys out there listening did that well from the start. That's something that really came slowly for me. Well, okay, was there a particular moment in time that was an aha moment? Or yeah. was it? Okay. Yes. Let's, can we talk we, about that? We had a season in church planning when, of course, <sighs> so many of the people that come to help you in church planning raise their own money. Right. So it feels a little different. Like you don't have the same kind of feeling of leverage when they're raising their own money. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I began to sense just some coldness with them. We were having a lot of conflict. We were, it just didn't feel like a great atmosphere. And we just started putting in a monthly like required hang time at someone's house. And we started playing games. We started having dinner, started involving our spouses it just changed the whole atmosphere. So that was, uh, okay, a couple of questions. That was obviously not then during, quote unquote, business hours. No. Well, I mean, we tried to play together some in business hours, but most of it was, let's just do dinner at someone's house. Everybody bring something. Let's play a silly game. Let's let's do something to see each other's personal lives on display. Right. And as you you know, as you know, when your when your spouse feels like they're a part of it, it just totally. it adds a whole another layer of joy. We started taking that seriously at our last church, and it really paid off. I wish I had figured that out sooner. Well, I think you have figured it out to the extent that— um, so my wife and I came over to your house with several other directors, leader, people around LifeWays. Uh, yeah. Um, spouses as well. And that was—I thought that was brilliant um, because it did help us to see each other in a different light. But most importantly, it helped our spouses to see that in a different light. And and you're talking, I'm not just talking about male and, I mean, there's both male and female spouses, if that makes sense. You know, you got Jan yeah. and her husband and all that. So, but it is, it is the fact that my spouse can see what I do. They could see you and understand uh, a little bit more of who Absolutely. you are, your personality. There's something about being in somebody's house. Yep. Um, that's just special. And and, it's, it's just, and when you guys came over, I made sure that I shared my heart a little bit because right. I want your wife to know my heart. So when there comes a day when I make a decision that doesn't help you, yeah, that <laughs> maybe good somebody. for life, way bad for you. Yeah. Um, not that any of those are coming, by the way. That, <laughs> that wasn't a prophecy. I think it just really helps your spouse to know, it's hey. last podcast, guys. Sorry. This guy's not cold-hearted. He's trying to lead well. Right. This, this is an unfortunate thing for us personally, but good for the organization. Building strong rapport with the with the spouse, I think, is super helpful. 
I just know that whenever Lindley has been included on things that I've been a part of, she appreciates just being a part of it. Oh, absolutely. I don't think we do that real well here at Lifeway, by the way. I think we need to grow in that area. All right. I'm eager to see that happen. Well, uh, you guys, you've uh, sat in on a five leadership questions podcast. Um, everything that you just heard was, uh, was as you would expect, um, from just a conversation. And so this is what we love to do. Um, ben, I'd love to have you on um, more often uh, and with guests. Um, we recently had you on with, with Jackie L. Perry, and that was great. Um, it's just uh, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to have a conversation. And a lot of times, um, again, what we're doing is learning in front of people and, you know, having people come into our conversation, I think, is, is always important. So as a leader, expose the people that are uh, in your organization to essential conversations, to conversations that you may not think that are a big deal, but definitely times where you think there's going to be conflict or we're going to be talking about change. Uh, that can be so instrumental in the growth and development of that leader. That can be so instrumental in how that's communicated throughout the organization and how that decision was made. Um, it's just a, a beautiful thing. So I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, so once again, thank you for listening to Five Leadership Questions podcast and ask that you would go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review.